0: next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future podcast with your host, Doton, coming up today on Building the Future.
1: We do this aga oh madam madame thing, right? If you do that, why would someone be loyal to you? Like, why? There's too many opportunities in Africa, and it's too many to ignore. I need to be doing something that makes impact. I like hearing, Chica, you affected my life, you impacted my life. I felt like the only way I could truly do that is moving back to Nigeria. And I know now being in Nigeria, it's hard. I have days where I'm like, why am I here? (laughs) But I feel fulfilled. For the first time in my life, I actually feel fulfilled and happy.
0: This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. Do you have an offer, a product, service, or message that will be ideal for entrepreneurs, investors, or corporate executives across Africa? Building the Future podcast can help you. This podcast has been sponsored by partners who want to reach super targeted audience of investors, entrepreneurs, and people who are in the process of starting their own business. If you or your company is interested in reaching those audiences, through this podcast, we would like to chat with you. We have sponsorship slots from three episodes up to one year. Send me an email via hello at the starter.com. That is H E N. L-L-O at dot com. And we can take this further. This is the fifth episode in our special series on ladies that are shaping the African future. And my guest today is Chika Ouazier. Chika is a CEO of Talentbase, a platform that makes it easier for businesses to manage their HR processes, such as payroll, benefits, staff evaluation, time tracking, and so on. She has a first degree in psychology and a master's in human capital development from the Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Born to a Nigerian parent, Chika grew up in the United States of America but moved back to Nigeria to work with Talentbase, initially as a top executive in the startup and now as a CEO. I had this conversation with Chika late last year and we spoke about a lot of things, including a view about the future of work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So Chika, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Fantastic. You're one of those people that...
0: We've interacted a lot yes. uh, nearby your company from different sources, from different people. And you've been to some of my events, mm-hmm. and then you went to 500 Startup. Mm-hmm. And then I kept hearing about you in the news, yeah. BBC, for example, <laughs> and stuff like that. And I just felt we need to have a chat about what you're doing. So, Talent Base is very, very unique. I love what you're doing through that it, it simplifying HR. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about how you got into it. So, mm-hmm. just briefly, what is the key pieces behind talent base? The key, like, problem? Yeah, the problem you're solving yes.
1: now and, and why you're solving that problem. Yeah. Um. So, you know, interestingly, I think talent base is happening at the right time. I feel like a few years ago, nobody cared about HR. Nobody cared about process. We're doing Excel. We're doing paper. It's fine. Now, companies, I have companies, 10 employees like Bella najad that's using us. All the way up to big companies that are using us because they all see that team's important, number one. And two, that government can come for them now. Uh right. so, so there's regulation. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So people are in getting Nigeria. fined. Yes. So oh, in Nigeria, Pencom is fining people for not paying pensions properly. Um lrs or, or depending on where you are so in lagos that's mainly where we operate um i have a company that had a huge fine from them because they didn't properly calculate their taxes before using talent base so now people it's not even just about the team it's about we now have to be compliant and nigeria is getting to the point where more and more companies realize that you know what it's better i paid this small small money today than i pay big money because i wasn't compliant wow so
0: there are two things that you're solving the hr problem yes normal but then there is the push factor from the regulatory mm-hmm. angle which is making people to say i need to get this compliance mm-hmm. thing done so let's go back to the beginning about you. yeah when are uh, you started you grew up in the states yes uh, so you're sure. <laughs> and then you decided to come back to nigeria yes. to work to you didn't start the yeah land base joined yes and then you became the ceo so you yes. want to talk about that way of actually becoming like a, an entrepreneur. who didn't start an idea, of mm-hmm. scaling it mm-hmm. as a CEO of Talentbase. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's talk about your journey mm-hmm. to that place. Yes. So, and I want to start from, not from right from the beginning, but I want to start from your experience as an HR manager mm-hmm. and w- how you took that step to come to Nigeria mm-hmm. and join Talentbase, mm-hmm. a startup that has not raised a lot of
1: money. Yes, yes. Um. So, I was an HR consultant for about 10 years. Uh, so I've worked at World Bank. i worked at a government consulting firm. I even worked in Nigeria for a bit at Mobile. Um, so interestingly, in 2013, that's actually where I met Ozzy, the founder of Talentbase. And um, I was- In Mobile. Yes. That, so he wasn't at Mobile, but I, was, I spent the summer as an HR consultant at Mobile in Nigeria, and I met him randomly at Bottles. So funny enough, When I was working in Nigeria, I even saw the issue there even before I joined Talentbase. And so I remember... Coppers were still being paid in cash. Like they had to go to some physical location pick up their cash. Um, they were still reading resumes, like paper resumes for like pos- potential positions. That was
0: 2013.
1: 2013, yes. And even like I remember there was a day they wanted me to help them with like figuring out their training schedules for all the employees. All this was on paper, like physical Which paper. Is this? Mobile.
0: Mobile. Yes. So one of the biggest companies in Nigeria yes. was still processing stuff manually.
1: Yes. It was like weird. It was like half the company was like like using like a system. But then there was all these like elements like coppers and contractors where they just didn't have a real like automated system for them. And so I was like, wow, okay. And I kind of noted that. And then, you know, at the time, you know, me and Ozzy were just talking as friends. And then um, he told me a couple of months after I left, oh, I'm, you know, I'm starting this business called Talent Base. Uh, your, HR, your background was very interesting. You know, let's keep in touch. And then I still was at school. I actually always knew I wanted to move back. I didn't know when or in what capacity. Right before I finished, I was finishing up at Georgetown. I actually, you know, approached Ozzy and said, hey, are you still doing Talent Base? Like, what's going on with that? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And You know, you were actually one of the people I was thinking, like, it would be great to Work with you. Um, what, what were you doing at Georgetown? Uh, so, I was getting my master's in human capital management. Um, so, I'm full HR uh, person. And um, as I was rounding up, I said, okay. And I just decided to move back in 2015. And I've been in Lagos ever since.
0: So, you got in touch with those, uh, yeah. the founder of TalentBase. We were
1: started uh, yeah. a few months after you yeah. met him. Mm-hmm.
0: And then he knew that you are an HR person, yeah. you're a consultant, yeah. and you're, you're doing a master's yeah. in HR, And then you talked about it and you offered it to come back. Yes. It? So let's talk about you coming back because mm. there are a few people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. who are based outside the continent, yep. based in the US or UK or Europe, mm-hmm. and they've got ideas yeah. or they really want to work um, and solve big problems in mm-hmm. Africa, whether it's their own idea mm-hmm. or they want to work in startups. So and it's a big jump. Yes. Yeah. Massively big jump. It's risky. I mean, moving back to Nigeria or Africa is mm-hmm. risky on its own. Yeah. If it you're is. working for a multinational company, it's doubly risky if you're moving to work for a startup. Yes. Let's talk about your thought process uh-huh. for that. And yes. how did you how are you able to scale and make that leap?
1: Yeah. So again, a lot of people don't know. Yes, I grew up in the US, but my dad was actually the first MD of IBM for Nigeria. So he was doing that, and then went on to do his own IT business. So I've always watched him for a very long time, running an IT business, being in Nigeria. And you know, for him, he also grew up in the US as well. And he's like Chika, you know what? Nothing makes me happier than living in Nigeria, working in Nigeria, doing the like. He's like, I would never change or make another decision. Yeah, I saw that over the years. And as I got older, he would just kind of be like, he actually keep bringing me home because he's like, I need you to see. You need to come home, you know, and he would make little hints. And he also said there's almost like this age. Like if you don't come back by forty, is like it's a bit funny. <laughs> it's a bit funny. And he said, you know, he came back at thirty-seven, so he was like, I was lucky, and I was lucky, and I was lucky that I, you know, I came in at a high level MD of IBM, and that's the only reason why I was able. That's to what come he back. said. Yes. So he knew that even if he had come back, you know, just doing whatever at his age, it might have been difficult to adapt. So, I already, like I said, I already placed in my head, I need to move back before I hit that time. So, you really wanted to move Yes, back? I did. In, regardless. Yes, you, I did. You focus
0: on, okay, I'm going to start a company. Oh, I'm going to work in a company in yeah. Africa. I'm not going to join a company it, in the U.S.
1: Exactly, exactly. And to be honest, like I was telling someone today at the conference I was at that there's too many opportunities in Africa. Like, and it's too many to ignore. Like it's not in the U.S. Yes, but I mean some of the startups you see now, like helping you know puppies, like it's it's like it's so far removed from what's really happening in Africa, and I wanted to be part of that. And I also told myself I need to be doing something that makes impact. Like I like hearing you know Chika, you affected my life, you impacted my life for whatever you're doing. So. I felt like the only way I could truly do that is moving back to Nigeria. And I just didn't feel like me being an HR consultant and Deloitte or PwC or wherever I was going to land up just was going to be, it wasn't going to fulfill me. And I know now being in Nigeria, it's hard. I have days where I'm like, well, why am I here? <laughs> but I just, I feel fulfilled. Like I actually, for the first time in my life, I actually feel fulfilled and happy. So when you spoke
0: to Ozi, yeah. so, okay, you're doing something yeah. uh, and I want to be part of that. Yeah. Did you just pack your bag and just came?
1: I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it was, um, I, I had like, I think I it was like six or seven months because I also was still finishing my thesis. And per- there was actually some personal things going on in my family that I could not just move. I had to actually, there was things I had to kind of manage. And before I actually moved, but yeah, it was about seven months, about, and then I moved.
0: Yeah. And then you moved and then just joined immediately. Yep. Right. So do you have like soft landing? position in nigeria where maybe your dad out of house mm-hmm. you can go to yeah and you have
1: that yeah i had i mean yeah it, it just made sense to move home with my father like and it's just me and him like it's not even like there's a whole like situation where I, that i'm dealing with and to be honest he supports me he makes introductions you know he's very aware of what i'm doing and i think that's important i actually and i always advise anybody like if you're moving back to nigeria or wherever have someone an auntie an uncle your mom your dad cousin whatever like don't just come there because i've seen some people who kind of try to get their own house or their own situation It's a bit difficult because it's not just paying rent. It's paying light and dealing with the diesel and dealing with all the other funny things that happen in Nigeria. So if you can, try to move home for just, even if it's just for a while, and then obviously have a plan to do your own thing and, and take natural progressions. But it, it's definitely helped me, you know, having my father uh, living in Nigeria.
0: So, when you came back, right, mm-hmm. so you started immediately with um, Ozzy and mm-hmm. then you joined as uh, what? I was VP of Business Development. And that means you're trying to get more business. Yeah. So the thesis of talent has always remained the mm-hmm. same. The problem you're solving was the same. Mm-hmm. The model is still the same yeah. now. I'm wondering though, um, you coming from the state, you coming as the VP of Business Development, mm-hmm. and you have no relationship a lot with people in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. How are you able to do that?
1: <laughs> no, so actually, uh, a lot of people don't realize I actually was coming back to Nigeria for years, forming a network. Yeah, so it wasn't like I just popped up in Nigeria and started trying to hustle. Like I actually had years and years of being in the tech ecosystem, knowing key tech people, um, you know, forming other types of business relationships. So that's actually why that role made sense, Um, because I've been forming that network for you know, over a period of time. That's
0: quite key, actually. And I'd like to draw that out the more, that sometimes moving back is not just necessarily you quitting your job and selling your house Mm -hmm. and moving back to Africa. It's basically you need to form a network. You need to be involved in a way. You need to just... Deep your toe in the waters gradually and learn and mm-hmm. understand the nuances, the challenges, mm-hmm. and 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 just get yourself in the ecosystem. And the way I did it was when I was coming back, I've not even moved back now. Mm-hmm. I don't even have been working in Nigeria mm-hmm. or working in Africa in many ways, uh, but I've not moved back. It's basically the first time I showed up mm-hmm. <laughs> is to say, hey, I'm here to help. I'm here to understand what is happening. I didn't Try to say that, oh, this is what I know from the UK and I'm going to teach you guys how to do stuff. She said, you guys know better than me. I just want to help and I want to work and I want to be part of the ecosystem. And I think the ecosystem is more receptive that way yeah. than you just coming, moving back and just having throwing money around mm-hmm. and your accent or knowledge around as well. So that, that could be an issue. But I think you did it well. So let's talk about when you started with the with the business and you started working with a talent base mm-hmm. and you're trying to get more businesses to sign up mm-hmm. and over time the founder decided to move on yeah. and then told you that he would need you to, to step up mm-hmm. as a CEO mm-hmm. where I want to dwell at is there are people that thought that being a founder or being an entrepreneur only means that you have to found it it means okay there is a big difference between being a founder mm-hmm. and being an entrepreneur even though yeah. most people most founders are entrepreneurs yes. or all founders are entrepreneurs, mm. uh, but not all entrepreneurs are founders. Yeah. So, not all entrepreneurs are the ones that started a business. Mm-hmm. So, in your own case, you became an entrepreneur. Yes. Whilst uh, you're working as a VP of a business, but then, you, then the founder decided to move on and you became a CEO. Mm. Let's talk about your thought process along that line as mm-hmm. well. In, since that, how, when you told it that, what went through your mind and what did you change in your mindset? Mm. Um, in, in terms of ownership mm-hmm. of the business? What changed for you from uh, Chica, the VP of business development, and Chica, the CEO?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things have happened. So number one, you have ownership, right? You actually have ownership of the business. So for me, it's not like I'm, you know, and any, it doesn't matter if you're entrepreneur or founder, you're not being paid well, like you're not. Like you're just literally getting paid just to get by. And this is, it doesn't matter which level you are. And even your employees that first join, they're not being paid arm and leg, but they have some type of ownership to the business. So for me, it's like, I have to carry the business on my back, you know, along with the team, along with the decisions I make. And a lot of times I make decisions because it's best for the business. It's not personal. I don't try to use my personal feelings or whatever, um, you know, to run to day-to-day business. So I think that was the major change is that, you know, as an employee, You can, you know, be like, oh, I don't feel like coming in today or I don't feel like working today or I don't feel like doing whatever. But as a business owner, you know, or CEO running the business, you you don't have that option. So would you consider yourself as a business owner now? Oh, yeah. I I have equity. Yes. So So that's what you call yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Would you say that you have the same emotional attachment to the business uh, like if you were the one that founded it?
1: Yes, just as much.
0: What changes that for you? Is it just equity or the toil and the emotions?
1: No, no. I think because you're seeing it change over time. And to be honest, what excites me about talent base is the possibility, the vision. Like, I know how many businesses need our services. When I talk to investors, when I talk to business owners, when I talk to corporate partners, when I talk to different people, and they all have the same reaction like, Wow. Okay. This makes sense. You know, that's what makes me know that I'm, that like, this is real, like this is a serious business and I need to take this seriously. And I think that's why there's so much emotional attachment to it because I see literally the expression, the thoughts, the questions that are on other people's faces. When I talk about why, you know, talent base was started and what talent base is trying to do. So for me, that is a huge emotional attachment. I'm not thinking about my equity or anything, because even like, again, the conference that I was at today, there may not be unicorns right now. You know, it may be ten years, twenty years. It may not be in my lifetime. Like I don't know. So I'm not running talent base to be a unicorn. I, it's talent base is is around because there's actually need, and that's what fulfills me. Is that okay? I actually have clients, people that are using the service, and they and there's a there's a happiness when they use this service. So that's what fulfills me. So you see that it's a big alignment between what you're doing now and
0: your life work, yeah. basically. So yeah. uh, I'm reading this book by um, oh, oh, and about how to, ma- the alliance. Yeah, I've heard
1: of that book, yeah. Yes,
0: and it's actually just literally yeah. beside
1: <laughs> Yeah, I saw it.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and it's just a bit of that I talk about some employees are like, almost like founders, mm-hmm. right? They, they've got the alignment between their life goal and the mission of the business. Mm-hmm. And they are key in employees, basically, mm-hmm. because they they will run this as a yeah. business. So you, you are like that. But then you are more than that. You are a business owner yeah. now. And so let's talk through when you took ownership, in
1: a way, of mm-hmm. the business. Mm-hmm.
0: And you, I'm sure you're faced with some challenges. Hmm. Um, and and what are the key things that you have to run through? Um. Is it, how do I, now I have the responsibility of paying people, Mm -hmm. I have to raise money, Mm -hmm. and I have to keep the growth going, Mm -hmm. and I have to talk to investors, so let's Mm -hmm. talk through that. Mm How are you able to navigate those initial challenges, because you didn't set out to become an entrepreneur, you became an entrepreneur by
1: circumstance. Yes, yes. Um, So, you know, a couple of things. So, number one, you learn on the way, you're always learning, and I think, so, this is actually not my first startup. Like I've actually been part of other startups in different capacities and I've learned through those failures and failures are great, what to do. Um, so, you know, number one, um, always making sure my employees are paid is number one. So making sure that the business is to the point where it's sustainable, where there's enough cash flow, whether it's through other, you know, business buying our services through investment. Um, so those are decisions that I have to make all the time. And, you know, you know, I can confidently say that we always pay our employees every month. Like, there's never been a month that, you know, that it was like, oh, we don't have any cash in the bank. So for me, that's very important, you know, um, you know, to make sure that my employees are fulfilled, but also finding the right talent, Um, you know, too. So that's also important to make sure that other people are joining your businesses. Because for me, I just see myself as, you know, uh, part of a machine. Like I'm not the machine. I'm not the only machine. There's all these different people moving parts. And I'm still thinking about it as I'm growing. I'm thinking about, okay, I need this person. I need that person. I need that person. And I need smart people in the room. Um, so for me, it's also a key thing. Um, the other challenge is Nigeria humbles you a lot. So number one, I cannot come to Nigeria with all my American ideology of how to run a business. Uh, so simple things as a monthly subscription does not work in Nigeria you know, trying to do, oh, we only do payroll. That's the only business we do, like in America, where you can just get a product that does payroll. In Nigeria, they want different things. So, you know, I also have been learning how to listen to the market, talking to the business owners, talking to people, and really making sure that the business is a Nigerian business is localized. And I'm not just using, oh, I'm an American on a white horse. I'm here to save everybody. No, like I still make sure that I'm grounded in, you know, what I'm doing today to day. So those are the key things that you yeah. start
0: doing. But I really want to dwell on what when you move for trans that yeah. transition and did you have to raise money immediately after no. you uh, So there was some, some money in the bank. Yeah. Oh, that's a good that's yeah. a good founder. CEO, okay. Yeah. There's money in the bank. Good luck, and then you can you can work with it. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, we're just about two months to, to <laughs> die. Would you like to come and run this business? Mm-hmm. So you have some money, it yeah. You have some runway. Have you raised money since you became the CEO? Yeah.
1: So five hundred startups did make an investment, you know, in us, and that was early of this year. And then, you know, uh, I can't disclose everything now, but yeah, we are raising some more funding to kind of take us to the next milestone, uh, which is scaling across Nigeria. Most of the businesses that use us are in Lagos. We have a few that are in Abuja and Patakot, but now we're getting to the point where like, okay, we've proven product market fit. We have proven that people want to use our software. Now we're getting to the point where we want to scale across Nigeria um, and really see more organizations use us. So yes, there has been. There has some been some money that's been um, fundraised between five hundred and actually angels as well, and now we're raising money for the next milestone.
0: What are the key challenges that you had when you were trying to raise this money? Being not being the founder and the founders left to, mm-hmm. to do some other yeah. stuff, and, because I know it's hard to raise money anyway. Yeah. But then it was it harder to raise money as the CEO mm-hmm. of a startup and, and because in and startups, right, one of the key things that people buy into the founder mm-hmm. story, right, mm-hmm. the founder. Is a key person and it's whiskey. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you have to, did you face some of those challenges and how did you address them?
1: Um, so I think, you know, um, at number one, people look at the business itself, the vision, um, and who's selling that vision. So for example, with 500, they literally say we're investing in you as a person. Like, we like this business. We like what you're doing. We're very interested in Nigeria, but we're investing because we're investing in you. We like how you're thinking through the business. And also 500 tells us the day that we get there that a lot of times we know you may fail. (laughs) So we're already gambling that 80% of you guys will fail, but most of the time we're investing because you as a person, we feel like even if you fail with this company, you can go on and start another business. So... A lot of times I am the I have I have to sell the vision. They are, you know, but of course investors are aware that the founder is still involved. He's still helping us out um, you know, with the product. And so it's not like he's a non-entity. He's definitely an entity in the heartbeat of talent base. But at the day to day, when I am talking to investors, they see me. So to be honest, any investor that's interested has to invest in what they see the vision and I don't think it's any harder I, I think it's harder because I'm a black woman you know not because of who started or founded or you know it's not even that and and it's not even being about black women or being black African you know or being a black African founder or CEO running the business I think it's just harder for us to raise anyway. and why is that um biases honest um you know honestly um you know I'm part of the group of 22 black women that have raised money only half of them have raised over a million dollars. So this is a huge bias issue. So I don't think there's. I think the challenges are much bigger than me. <laughs> like I actually think there's just challenges of Black African founders starting their own businesses, raising, doing business in Africa, and trying to raise money. And you definitely see a lot more money going towards um, other races running businesses in Africa. That's the big challenge, I think. Uh, So I know you've talked through
0: this challenge a lot and it's part of some of the things that you Mm -hmm. have to uh, grapple with and wrestle. Let's dwell a bit on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I was at the same conference and and there was a bit of discussion about a a lot of money going to uh, non-African founders in Africa Mm -hmm. than African founders. Exactly. And I was on a panel where we were discussing about difference between startup in Africa and African startups. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm hearing that for the first time. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So so what do you think about that? And Mm -hmm. and again, you have this double biases as well that you're a black woman. Mm -hmm. so I want to know, I just want us to drive into that core problem Um, and not just talk about bias, but let's let's dive into that and then let's talk about what are the key things that you think can solve that or can use to address that as a problem.
1: Yeah. So Let's just take it from a cloud view, right? In the Valley, you know, it's easier for a white male founder to raise because most of the investors are white males, right? And so you invest in what you know or what who looks like you. It's straightforward. So even women, white women are also having issues fundraising. Now, are they getting more? Yes. But so it's kind of like compounded where it's like you mostly see white males in the room. And they're investing other white males because that's, they were similar. We look the same, right? There's just this hurdle. And it's funny because one of the investors even said how, you know, she didn't realize she had a bias that anytime she heard someone that was Nigerian that had this kind of pigeon accent. She was like, she almost had this like, mm, is what's, that person? What's a Pigeon accent? I, I don't even know, to be honest. Like, I, oh, she's a Nigerian I, accent. I think Pigeon she meant, accent? I think she meant Nigerian accent. Like, I think that's what is she she American? Meant. Yeah, she's American. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, so I just think, you know, it's investors need to be aware of that. Like, because someone doesn't look like you doesn't mean they're not as intelligent. That doesn't mean they don't know the business. And the one good thing I can say about Nigerians is that we protect ourselves, right? So in Nigeria, You mostly see Nigerian founders. Like, you're not gonna see a white American or, you know, whatever person coming into Nigeria and trying to run a business because it's gonna be hard for you. You're not going to be able to make those same relationships. It's going to be hard for you to, I think, really get the local market. And you almost need a Nigerian to join your business, to run the business as it should. Now, in Kenya it's different. Um, And I went to an investment forum this past year where it was mostly Americans, non-Kenyans. And I that was very strange for me. Uh, so I think there are some countries that are a little bit more open to other ethnicities coming and running businesses. I do think Nigeria is one of the few countries that say, look, if you want to come here you need to be a Nigerian and you need to understand the Nigerian dynamics of running a business. But, but
0: isn't that another sort of bias? As yeah. Well? That, that is a bias. Yeah, that it's, is a Nigerians bias. Nigerians are biased towards doing business with Nigerians yeah. in Nigeria. And and that is, even though it's, it's a bias that you want to see happen for you, but then it's a bias. Yeah, it is. Um, so it seems that everybody is biased. It's a human thing. We can only relate to something that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I see uh, an elephant, and uh, if I've never seen an elephant before in my life, mm. Of all I've lived with is are goats and sheep. And I see an elephant. I'm not going to call it elephant. I'm going to say this look like a goat, but it's a bigger goat and it's a different <laughs> goat. It's got a horn, but it looks like a goat. It's just a weird and big goat. If, if all I've seen is a buffalo and I'm going to relate that mm-hmm. elephant to a buffalo. So we can only relate that way. So the same way, if all I have seen Smart people that I know have got this type of accent. They look in a particular way. They went to a particular school. Everyone that I see in the, f- because all of us have this, um, it's uh, forced, first, first impression, right? Yeah. So you judge people within the four seconds and you try to pattern fix them. So, okay. Where can I fix this person in my orbit Yeah. Uh, and I think investors are people. They yeah. have that. So yeah. if, if somebody comes to me and say, I- I've got this business going Okay. Where can I fit this guy in my one I smart or I don't know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the key question is how do we address that? Mm-hmm. How do you, and not just telling us, so oh, you need to drop your bias. How can African entrepreneurs actually break that and mm-hmm. address it from our own, hand, from the entrepreneurial angle? How do you go and pitch yourself and sell your story? Because pitching money is, is about storytelling. Mm-hmm. How do you pitch and how do we get and cross that barrier of sort of bias that might be running against us.
1: So to be honest, I think they need to meet, see more successes, right? Um, and that's the reason why you're starting to see more Nigerian businesses uh, run by Nigerian founders raising capital, getting into global programs. I think all those are signs and ways to change the biases. I think, you know, even three, four years ago, you may have not seen many, you know, global, or let me not say global, but, you know, American and UK investors invest in Nigeria because they just didn't see, they didn't say the stories. And to be honest, the only story we've seen for a very long time was Iroko. You know, so if investors, all they're seeing is one guy like, okay, well, that one guy can do it. But can any of you guys else can do it besides this one guy? So now you're seeing other companies raise, other companies go to 500, other companies go to YC, other companies, you know, getting funding from, you know, investors outside of Nigeria. Then it makes them have to. They're like, okay, something is going on there. And I can actually tell you, Facebook actually spends a lot of time in Nigeria. You may not always see them, but they actually come a lot. So that's all indicators that, okay, like something's going on in this country. We need to figure it out. And I just think that's the only way. I think more of us need to speak up. I think more of us need to be on panels, be in uh, an event, talking about what we're doing, talk about the successes because that's the only way the media is going to see it. Yeah, you know? because we need to write our own stories ourselves, exactly. and not just allow other people to write. Exactly,
0: and that's one of the fundamental faces behind this podcast, by the way. Is how do we tell our own stories? Mm-hmm. How do we uh, communicate and build our own narrative? Because mm-hmm. it's an ongoing story. Right? Yeah, it's not something that will, that will be written about us later. We're writing the story ourselves and creating it as we go along. I, I think I get that. That's very key. The, uh, one thing I. Will, after that is, I see loads of founders in Africa not confident enough
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, um, and just not standing up to to talk about confidently yeah. about what they are doing and why it is important that they are the one doing it mm-hmm. and why somebody should bet on them. Yeah, it, it's just and again, it's a lot of factors around that. The factors about um, okay, if I don't get the money now, I don't have a job or some other things. That, that is beyond mm-hmm. what we can talk about now. That is killing that confidence. The education system, the cultural problem about investor is big and I'm, and I'm small, and that affects that. But we need more confident founders. We yeah. need people to stand up and say, "This is me. This is what I'm building, and this is why I'm the best person to build it." So we could look at that. But I want to talk about you. Going to five hundred startup and then pitching not just your experience there but pitching to investors that are not familiar with African mm-hmm. with African businesses mm-hmm. or opportunities. Just walk me through that first. What are the key learnings from that kind of pitch? And second, what are the key challenges? And how can somebody listening to this who want to pitch you investors outside, outside the continent? What, what what can they do?
1: Yeah, so I I took away two things, and this is what I learned, and these are the challenges. So number one, 500 really prepped me to tell, you know, the talent-based story. And a lot of people come to me today, and they're like, oh, Chica, you know how to sell this story. You're really great at storytelling in public. I said no, because 500 drilled me for months on how to tell this story to anybody, anyone who, even if you've never been to Africa, you would get why. We do what we do at Talent Base. So I think that was really key. And I honestly thank them for that experience because now I can go anywhere and be very confident in pitching my story. And I actually think we need more programs like that. It doesn't have to be 500. You know, there's Google, Launchpad, there's Excel Africa. I think there's so many programs that are helping people pitch because it's all about storytelling at the end of the day. Um So I think that's key. The other thing is education. That was a major challenge I have is that you're literally educating someone about why this service is needed? So first thing I got was I would say, "Oh, we're helping SMEs," and I'll get an American investor and say, "What is an SME?" You know, they didn't realize SME is SMB; it's the same thing: small medium enterprises, small medium businesses. So that there's that hurdle of educating you. Then they would say, "Oh, but isn't there like Gusto and Zenefits and all that?" <laughs> you know, in Africa, and you're like, "No," and they're not even they're not even aware that you know. There is no simple payroll infrastructure in, in Nigeria. They, they like really don't realize that. Like they just assume ADP, which is a payroll processing company in the U.S. is everywhere. So there's like this extra layer of like education. Like I literally have to walk you through why, you know, the foundation of the Nigeria, the infrastructure, what's happening and then go to the opportunity. So I think that is one key lesson you have to learn is you have to do education. You can't come in there, start pitching your whole story and say, okay, give me the money because there's this element of them just trying to get it, that this is what's going on and this is why we're doing this business. Um, but I did think, you know, one thing I also saw was that I don't think a lot of these valley investors aren't ready as they're trying to come off. That's, I think that's another key lesson. So there is a small pool of Valley investors, or I'll say American investors, who are interested in Africa, right? Um, And those are the ones that you should spend time and get them on board. To be honest, I think there's a lot that are still not ready. I do think, you know they want to have these conversations with you because they want to be educated. And I do think two to five years from now, you're actually going to see them make active investments in Africa. But I still think we're a bit far removed from that. So I think a lot of people go to the Valley and say, oh yeah, it's going to be so easy. No, I like they still don't even know if they want to invest outside of the Valley versus New York or Ohio or any other, you know, state in the U.S. So talk about Africa that's far removed. You know, I found out that, their lps won't allow it you know i found out that you know they when it comes to the board they don't play with that and they want to be able to walk down to your office and have those conversation so that's why you see companies like tala and branch have offices in the u.s actually in Dell as well because they want to actually physically go to the board meetings even though they're operating in africa so i think you have to also ask yourself like are valley investors the only way to go and for me i just said no I'm thank you 500. You know, thank you for the money. Thank you for the (laughs) lessons I learned. Why do you want to have a presence in the States? Yeah, because that requires now you getting a dollar office and dollar developers, and we're earning Naira. But then, Mm -hmm.
0: uh, I get it. I get the point. But if you look at the other companies that, like you said, um, Tala, Tala, Branch, Branch and yeah, they're also handing in in shillings, Kenya shillings, and Nigerian Naira. And they've got officers in the state yeah. because they, that's where the market that's where the capital is yeah so they're going for the capital yeah why, why don't you want to take the same approach
1: um so i think i'm a realist <laughs> you know um i can tell you i've spoken to a few people and some of these investments and they're bleeding like they're they're spending a lot of capital i know one company they're not really on the radar like that but they easily spend about a hundred thousand dollars a month in just payroll and I'm not even talking about the office expenses and any other expenses and all their businesses in Naira. So you can take that approach. Um, it requires you to literally be constantly raising, raising capital to cover those expenses. Um, I want to take a hybrid approach where yes, we do have some global investors because I think their knowledge is important. Um, but I rather, you know, focus on building a real business that's sustainable in Nigeria. And if you speak to a lot of investors that really get Africa and, you know, today at the conference, some of them have highlighted is VC the way to go in Africa at this t- Time. some of them are questioning, it may not be, you know, because of the way the business is, because, you know, someone also made the point, currencies are, you know, constantly fluctuating. Like there's so many different elements about Africa. And I think we got to get real about running businesses in Africa and create a model that makes sense. So for me, i rather raise enough funding to get us to the next milestone, which is what you're supposed to do anyway, versus raising all this money, you know, just to pay developers in the US. And I'm still trying to reconcile with the money I'm making in, you know, in Nigeria. So it's just a different approach. You don't have to, you know, kudos to Flutterwave. I think they're doing amazing things. I'm just taking a different approach.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's true because um there are diff- there are always different approaches to success. Yeah, There's yeah. no one way. Actually, raising money is also in question. Do we have do all startups need to raise money? Mm-hmm. No. A startup is not equal to raising money. Yeah. There are startups that have not raised a dime and they are high growth businesses and they are going to get to the same destination like startups that raise money. So it's just different approaches. Mm-hmm. So I get your point on that. But I think the key thing is about we know mm-hmm. that you want to raise money. We know that there's not enough capital in, in Africa. Yeah. And we know that um, that to grow really fast uh, sometimes you need access to that kind of capital. Yeah. So I think there's an existential question to be answered a lot by African startup about if the money is there in the state of London, and you might be required to flip your company yeah. to those places. Do you want to do that um, or not? And mm-hmm. if you don't, what are the implications of that? Because mm-hmm. for you, you have to live with that implication yeah. of okay, I'm not ready to move my company mm-hmm. to the state, and and it's a question that I started found I need to actually answer. And for you, how did you go up? How did you approach that question? Mm-hmm. And what are the key factors that you look at to tell you that okay? I'm, I'm doing this and I'm ready to, uh, and I will stay with this with precaution and, and what are the key things that you're expecting from that?
1: Yeah, so I think you need to look at comparables. So it's just like, you know, evaluation. If you're creating evaluation, you look at other companies. So, you know, what I recently looked at was that I actually looked at other similar HR businesses, not even in America, but, uh, you know, in the Philippines, in India, you know, in other emerging markets. And I actually looked at their fundraising history and actually what you will see is that they may have raised a seed round, they may then they go on to raise you know around I would call it a growth round so a round to scale out of the country or scale across the country and then maybe one or two other round and that's it like they're not constantly raising 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 and you have to ask yourself why you know, there's a reason why they're doing that, um, that approach. And, you know, it, it makes sense because for our business, you know, we do have paying customers. We do have customers that literally pay for the year. We do, you know, we are in a market or a frontier market where there's big companies that are willing to pay for our services. So I think, you know, we can take an approach where we don't have to constantly be raising because of that. There are some businesses that are like solar, um, even some, you know, fintech companies because of regulations and trying to acquire licenses that require a lot of capital. And the businesses actually I have seen in our, Africa that raise huge amount of money. Most of the time, they are in highly regulated spaces, so solar and fintech. And we are fintech, but fintech in the sense of payments. Actually, are you fintech? Yeah, we are from payroll aspect. We are a fintech. Also, company. you categorize your company yes. as fintech? Yeah, and and investors do. They actually because we are actually we are a hybrid of HR tech and fintech. Why are you
0: fintech? Payroll. Because payroll. you collect money on behalf of.
1: No, 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 no. Because we are actually we we're also integrated into payments in order to make that payment. So it's a fintech company. So, okay, uh, let, let's
0: keep, let's let's drill into that. Yeah. So how does it work? How does talent base work at mm. the moment? Um, if I sign up uh, as a company, I have three staff, and I put them on it. You pay them on, on my behalf, and I pay you.
1: No, 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 it's, it's not as, as like that. So today, what we're doing is HR subscriptions. The next step that we are doing now is integrating into the banks. We looked at several payment platforms, and what we realized is that, The bank still has a last say when it comes to making a call on whether or not they allow their transaction to go through. So that's the reason why we're integrating into banks because of that.
0: Okay. So you're going to be doing that? Yes. So at the moment, it's just payroll management. So I've got a staff and then you, what are the services that you provide?
1: HR. So the full HR wing. So everything from HR staff records to leave management to appraisal to time and attendance and then payroll, which is automating your payroll compensation structure We're automating your pay and we're automating your your pensions contributions. So all those contributions from a financial standpoint, we automate that. We also do employee loans. Um, So in the sense of companies in Nigeria, it's very common for an employer or employee to go to the employer and say, I need 100,000 naira, you know, for whatever reason. And then the companies can actually deduct that from the payroll every month.
0: So you do that as well? Yes. Um, and, but what you, all you do is just provide information for the company. Yes. Somebody else has to pay that. Yes. But it's not automated. So there's somebody in, in house who says, okay, this is what uh, Mr. A needs to get. Mm-hmm. And these are the deductions. Yeah. And they get that information through your, through yes. your software. Yes. And then that person clicks the button and yes. pay them yes. directly. But you automate the information gathering. Yes. So when you said you do employee loans, you don't provide that loan.
1: No, 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 no. And we're never going into that business. What we do is, this is, again, like something that's very common. In, and actually, this is not even just Nigeria. I actually found that in Kenya, this is also very common. I, you know, I have a family emergency and I need 100,000 Naira. So I asked my employer, can you loan me 100,000 Naira? And then if the employer says yes, what it what happens is then I'm literally like either I have to remember to take money from you or I have to chase you around to get money. But now you can actually plug that into base. There's actually a loan module, and you can every month deduct, you know, a, whether it's 10k or 20k or whatever you want to deduct every month, and you can actually do that on the system. Okay, so that
0: discussion happens between the employee and the employer. Yes, but the person who is managing the software just need to indicate that this person is owing hundred on thousand. Yeah.
1: So actually, I can. It, it's two ways. So I as employee can request the loan in the system and then my manager sees it and approves and then it's just automated in that way or if like we had an informal conversation i can now put that in the system and and track that
0: right so that enables people to be able to manage large Yes. easily so when you i'm so i still want to talk about this fintech opportunity yeah. why you are cutting those fintech when you move to this payments so you're integrated yeah with banks, yeah are you going to be using your own payment infrastructure or you're going to be building on top of infrastructure like Flutterwave?
1: No. So, um, you know, we've spoken to a lot of payment companies. And again, the issue is there's still this, um, the banks still have the last say on whether or not they allow a transaction to go through. So it just makes sense to work with the banks because of that. So we're actually building on top of the bank's infrastructure.
0: But that's the same thing that FlutterWave is built.
1: I've spoken you know, to these payment platforms and I'm explaining it from a payroll perspective. It does not work. Right.
0: Yes. Is it easier for you to build it or you just got to FlutterWave and say, Hey, I need this. Can you build this? And then, And then they have the relationship with all. The, most of the banks, and they do that for
1: you. It's not, it's not as easy as that. That's the problem. So, we still have to talk to the banks. You still have to talk
0: to the yeah. banks directly. Okay. So, and when you do that, that makes you like another fintech company. Yeah. Do you think that creates more opportunity for you to then raise more money? Because the fintech has been getting lots of attention in the past maybe 12 or 18 months. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it opens other doors because actually, people are really interested in our data. People are interested in, you know, the data can be used to, you know, to do loans directly. There's so many different, you know, interesting financial data that we're collecting. So yeah, it definitely can op- open opportunities that when we're ready for a bigger round that we can, you know, really show the growth of that and take advantage of it. Yeah. So
0: I, again, uh- there are a list of things you can build on top of it. Yeah. Right? So what about benefits and perks for the employees? Do you do that or are you looking to do something? We're
1: better? looking. So right now you can, you know, note that or, you know, add that like, oh, this is the benefits I'm, this employee has. But yeah, in the future, there's health insurance. There's talking to different, you know, uh, telecoms. You're not doing that at the moment. No, no, we're not doing that at the moment because, again, that's a approach because, again, it's regulated you know um, what is like that so health insurance like there's different regulations on that so it's you know i'm trying to also be smart like zenefits a lot of people don't know they're actually trying to get out of that business of providing the health health insurance or like they're still trying to help you make that decision but they're not trying to be the the brokerage so right now on zenefits you can go there sign up for them and then because they are brokerage they can they say oh there's Health insurance A, health insurance B, health insurance C, but because it requires license, licenses, compliance, there's all these different rules and regulations. And as you know in the news, they weren't really doing what they were supposed to do, and they got into trouble. So we're also trying to take a very calculated approach to understand that industry first, even though it may not be as regulated in the U.S., but there are some regulations around that. But why not work with HMOs? Well, no, you have that. to. You want to. You want to work with HMOs, but even working with them, you need to understand the rules and regulation in Nigeria. Is it you know? Is it only 10 employees that can do it is there you know if i now move from a different state is there a different you know regulator that like there's different things that we need to sit down and really t- understand before we move into that business
0: and it's also to speak to focus you know you you have limited resources yes you know, yeah we don't
1: funding. need to be everywhere, yeah, to be <laughs> everywhere. But,
0: but just understanding that opportunity yeah. really helps a lot as well so let, let's spend the rest of this session to talk about the opportunities you are attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in this podcast, and I used to ask a question, which I'm going to ask you at the end as well, is what is your biggest pain point? Mm-hmm. And maybe 80% would say talent.
1: And I was going to say
0: talent. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> and you are attacking that add on Yes. Okay, so although you're doing payroll and stuff, but then can you speak into talent management, mm-hmm. retaining talent or uh, actually getting talent mm-hmm. to work on your business mm-hmm. retaining them
1: mm-hmm. and
0: making sure that they grow um, yeah can you speak into that yeah
1: so it's an interesting thing there is a part of nigerians that are have intrinsic values so they value money right but interestingly i'm finding over time and maybe because nigerians are naturally we're changing It's not all about money. And it's it's kind of offends me when someone's like, oh, well, it's because I didn't pay this guy X amount. That's why, you know, he left. I said, no, he wasn't happy. It wasn't about the money was like just a cherry on the top, you know, and it's about perks and giving those perks and benefits and all that. But to be honest, what I found with my team is that the more autonomy I give them, the more I empower them, the more transparent I am, the more they're, you know, they support me. And the more they're ready to stay. And I've had employees that said, Oh, I got an offer from somewhere else, but I decided to stay with you because I just like working at talent base, you know? Um, so I, I think it's about I've noticed too, we do this aga madam thing, right? And yes, if you do that, no one's why would someone be loyal to you? Like why? Like if you're telling me I'm madam, you must address me like that. Why would anyone want to stay? Like they just see you as this person for a while, there's no loyalty, and as soon as I get something better, I'll move on. From day one, I told my staff, do not call me that. Don't call me Madam Chica. Don't call me Boss Chica. Like, you know, I don't want that. Like, yes, I'm the leader in this organization, but you guys are part of my, you know, day to day, anything I'm doing with the business. So I, I think I'm very clear on that. And that's the reason why we retain talent. Now, of course, the challenge I have is development talent and not necessarily because we don't have good development talent. I think we're actually lucky that we do have very good, strong development talent in Nigeria. It's just the pool is so small. You have a good portion of them going to Endela. I have literally been looking for a woman developer for like eight months. And actually, I don't know if it's still there. If you go to my Twitter, I may still have what's pinned. I'm looking for a female developer. I've been looking. It's Y-P-M-E-L? so No, I just want more I mean, I want uh, to diversify my d- development team. And interestingly my developers were like, We want a woman developer too. Like we want to change it up. We don't want just us just here. Um so I've been looking and it's been hard. Um and you know, Andela takes up a lot of the women, like, like someone told me, like, 80% of the women development talent is with Andela, like something ridiculous like that. You know, you have developers going to Europe now for opportunities. You have them going to the US for opportunities and they're demanding more. So with all those factors, it's just hard to find, you know, development talent. And I think for me, that's my biggest pain points.
0: And so that's a pain point, acquiring talent because the pool is so yeah. small. But then, Retaining them mm-hmm. is another challenge for yeah. so quite a number, and it's both ways. So, yeah. so some talents don't want to stay in a company because mm-hmm. they're not sure what they're doing. But I think the more has to do with how the employers actually treat their staff. Treat the staff. Yeah. So you have a lot of better view of talent. Yeah. And you know the drop off, and you know the churn rate yeah. of companies. What are the key reasons why people leave? Do you have data on
1: that? Um. We, you know, we don't track data specifically in that way. I think that's something we want to get into the future. But, like I said, just from my experience talking to other founders, entrepreneurs, business owners, that lack of transparency is something that we call in America open door policy, and we literally mean. You can come to me at any time about any issue, about any challenge or whatever you want to talk about. And I'm here. We don't do that in Nigeria. And I think that's a huge reason because let's say you're a small SME business and you pay your staff a month or two late and they don't know why, you know, and it's like, okay, this is the second month. Our guy hasn't paid us. What's going on? And you don't even communicate what's going on. So that's the reason why people leave. Like, why would you stay? You know, you don't even know why you're not being paid. All you know is you haven't been paid versus You can talk to your team and say, look, you know, things are, we're going through a little rough patch, something, you know, you're discussing what's happening and you're, you're carrying your team along on that journey. It's important. I do think it is, you know, so with talent base, there's, I tell them the good days, the bad days, like I talk to my team, they know what's going on. Um, so I think that's the huge reason why people are leaving. It's just that lack of transparency. If something goes wrong, they don't even know why, you know, they're given this role, they're being belittled. Oh, you're just there. Like they don't, there's no empowerment. You know, either and autonomy and or growth, you know, so also someone could be in an organization and they don't even see because of lack of HR planning where I'm going, you know, okay. After a year, will I be promoted? And if you're in an SME business, your team should constantly be changing and it should constantly be promotion upwards. You know, I don't even know why a business that has less than 20 employees, people are not moving up to leadership to move, you know, to but management that's, positions. That's, can I give you an say that? Yeah. that means more money. That means no, that means no, no, no. It's, it's not about money. That's the point I'm trying to make. Right, but then what's the essence of a promotion? No, 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 no. You can. There's a couple of promotion, and like I said, this is maybe this is my American view bringing into it. But I've seen people who maybe they were, let's say, my a good example is my customer success team. So let's say they start off as just an associate. And I saw that they're really taking ownership on the customer journey. They're working with the product team that, you know, they're really doing a good job of managing that. You can say, you know, I want you to take a team leadership role, right? That can may come with a small, you know, an increase in salary. It may not, right? Now, of course, eventually you have to increase salary. Like that's definitely key, but you don't have to give them arm and leg salary. They just, it's just, they just like feeling like, okay, I'm now taking on a different role. I'm now owning more and what, what I'm doing. And I know what I'm doing, like I actually know what it contributes to the business. Like all those things are key. And, and I guess I'm saying this lastly because my research paper was actually studying the difference between millennials and uh, baby boomers and Generation X in the workplace. So I actually saw that millennials, their key thing is not about money. They want to know there's a why in what they're doing. They want to, and they want to know what my little thing I'm doing contributes to the big vision of the business. That's key for them. So, if most of us are employing millennials, which fifty percent is young in Nigeria, then those things are going to be valuable to them. It's not just about money.
0: Yeah, and and that's what that book um, alliance actually speaks mm-hmm. into the core phases of the book is that employee relationship between relationship between employers and employee has changed. And yeah, change. It's more partnership rather than I employ you because I pay you. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have to be loyal to me for the rest of your yeah. life. It's about... but. Where do you want to go to and how can you working with us get you to where you're going to while at the same time achieving, helping us to achieve our own vision. So aligning your value, your vision with that of your teammates okay. And they talk about, um, thoughts that people will take tall of duty. So, so if you're an employee coming to join a company, you are taking a toll of duty, yeah. which is what can I achieve within this time? And it could be four or five years. Yeah. And some people will take several tours so you yeah. can stay there. But then they want achieve something tangible. There's a why to it. And I've taken that approach with mm-hmm. every most people that I work with actually I especially started. Everybody I work with starter there uh, the key thing that I start with is what do you want to achieve in the next six months? Uh, because I don't know I don't know whether we have those five years. I don't have a five-year plan. Mm-hmm. So okay, what do you want to achieve in the next six months? And how can Starter AP to achieve it while you're working as Starter? Mm-hmm. So I get people to tell me those three things they want to achieve. And then I say, okay, can we provide that for you in mm-hmm. Starter? If not, we have an honest conversation and say, okay, you want to be making a million dollars in the next six months. We can provide that for you in mm-hmm. Starter. But if you want to start a business in the next six months and you want to have access to the capital or access, access to network, you want to understand how to build businesses and you want to work with me? Yes, uh, mm-hmm. join us and because we're going to help you to get there. And I think that's what you're speaking to. It's not just about the money. It's about is there value here for me yeah. as a person joining this company and what I'm doing, does it make sense? Good. So one last thing I want to say before I go into the fire question is, do you want to get into data? Because you have this unique opportunity, mm-hmm. like some of the stuff you're talking about now, and you could back it up with, List of data, because you have access to mm. people, uh, to businesses mm-hmm. that are working. You've got like, how many thousands of payroll that you've uh, 20,000. 20,000. That's 20, massive yeah. data that you can work. Do you want to go into that at some yeah. point And be uh, providing data and policy guide or yeah. best practices?
1: Yes. I think the main thing, you know, that I know for sure I want to get into, because this is a personal problem I've had, is salary data. Um, so in Glassdoor, there's a huge deposit of, you know, oh, I work at Google, you know, I'm this position and this is how much I'm being paid. So, and, and it works both ways. You as an employee, you have an idea of what you're supposed to be paid and you as an employee know what you're supposed to pay. Because, you know, for example, there's people that literally have a division of what they're supposed to pay a developer now. Like,
0: you know. But you have the data, don't no, you?
1: No, no, I have the data, but no. What, Why
0: are you not publishing
1: it? No, no. Well, you know, I
0: think it, it's. But you're not you're publishing it, aggregated data. You're not saying this is what Andela pays the people, but you know what. All companies are paying the developers, right?
1: Yeah. But I'm saying, I think, you know, that's definitely something I want to get into next year. It just wasn't our focus, but it, it has been top of mind because, like I said, you know, there was someone in, in the program in and he's like, Oh, well, we, well, we only pay our developers 200,000 naira max, right? And I have another company that was like, no, if you try to pay someone 200,000 naira, you're not going to get the right developer. You need to pay them at least 400,000 naira. And there's literally this debate of what to pay a developer and at, in, at the end of the day, do you know what's right? We don't know. We're just going off of what we think we're supposed to be paying these people. So I think having that data is going to be key. Um, It's definitely something that I do want to get into, you know, very few. And it could, as simple as just posting infographics, what we're seeing, trends, you know. And then, of course, over time, you know, we change. But yes, yes, definitely, I think, you know, that is going to be key. Uh, you have a unique position to
0: do that, by right yes. That's yeah. a good, and that could be a good acquisition channel yeah. for you. As well. Yeah. Now let's go into fire and question. I'm going to be firing some questions to you and I just need a quick response. Yeah. There are four of them. Okay. Are you ready to go? Yeah, okay. I'm ready. Good. What is your biggest business pain point?
1: Talent, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: So is it acquiring talent or retaining them?
1: I would say acquiring.
0: Acquiring more developers' yes. talent, right? What is your number one growth metric? What is that metric that you look at in your business that indicates that you're
1: growing? Um, how many companies we're adding on every month?
0: How many companies you're signing on yeah. every month? I know you tried to address that question during your pitch. this afternoon about, oh. I'm sure uh, every business has churn. Okay? Mm-hmm.
1: What is your churn like? And mm-hmm. why do
0: people get out of uh, talent
1: base? Okay, so actually the churn we have is actually really for one period. It's interesting. So there was a period we did freemium. Because we just wanted to see, okay, can we get these small, small businesses to just quickly come on, start using our software, like, not the full suite, but just staff records and payroll, and then, you know, and then eventually get them to upgrade to other modules. And that didn't work. I think in Nigeria... There's just all these companies that were claiming they're ready, and they really weren't ready to use the software. And it's literally like you're following them around and like, hey, you signed on, you know, we start activating. your freemium, yeah. So you start, they sign up, but they're not using it. Yeah, they're not using it so because they're not paying for it. They're not paying for it, and so I think you know eventually we'll get to the point where freemium will work. I just what from what we've seen, the data that tells us is that. The businesses that actually have paid for the software are the ones that see the value for the software that come back to resubscribe. So the churn we have seen was primarily because of freemium, because they just weren't ready to really use the software.
0: Would you consider partnership as well as a way of acquiring users? So what I mean by that is uh, maybe working directly with banks who have a lot of SMEs already, uh, and to do the partnership that they onboard talent base as part of the package for. Uh, maybe their, their bank costs their customers?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I do believe in Africa. This is not even just me. I think b 2 b to c is what's going to work, I think, in the future. Um, I think if you're saying, oh, we're going to spend so much money on Google and Facebook and online, you know, yes, that needs to be part of your strategy. But if you're being real with yourself, at least with B2B businesses, you have to do corporate char- you know, channels. So banks, telecoms, um we've even our first channel partners are actually hr consultants because they deal with loads of clients that need our services that's definitely going to be key for us is partnering with all these different players that have access to smes which
0: book are you reading at the moment
1: Ah, god there's so many books okay so it's actually skipping my mind right now the name unfortunately i feel like something about pipeline uh revenue pipe i can't think of the name right now to be honest but it is it's basically a book that helps you understand how to use pipe drive to actually drive your sales strategy
0: pipe drive the crM yes so it's a book written about how to use pipe drive
1: yes so
0: i guess it's written about a pipe drive
1: podcast. yeah yeah it is it is it is and it's actually this like but it's based off i can't you know i have to think about it but there's actually a book that they they based it off of um a revenue it's like a it's like a revenue sales book and then they now created a whole book around using that strategy to implement it in Pipe Drive. That's quite good. Yeah.
0: So you're using Pipe Drive right? yes. which business is getting you excited at the moment apart from the business you're running?
1: Which business is getting me excited? Oh, there's so many. I uh, <laughs> can pick one just at the moment. Uh um, I like Source. So much. actually maybe I'm biased. They are my client, they use talent base, but <laughs> Enough, they're just solving a real problem. Like I actually have friends that use them, so it's it's not. So they're even... providing alternative energy. Yes. Um,
0: in, in Nigeria, for people that were uh, that are uh, using generator, they're providing mm-hmm. solar power uh, infrastructure, yeah. and that people have to pay for monthly to use rather than generators.
1: Yeah, that to me, like I actually have a friend that uses them now. And she always is like, Oh, Chica, like I barely got light today, but rent store saved me today. So it's like, so I guess for me, because I'm physically seeing it, you know, and I'm experiencing, you know, her benefiting off of their business. I think it's just amazing what they're trying to do. That's great. Um, I think the founder will be joining us in one of the Ooh. session as
0: well. It's great having you on the show, chica, and it's been amazing having a conversation with you. And knew what you're doing is great and it's interesting. I hope you enjoyed the, the discussion as well.
1: I definitely did. I definitely did. I learned a lot from you as well. Thank you very much.
0: This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. Do you have an offer, a product, service or message that will be ideal for entrepreneurs, investors or corporate executives across Africa? Building the Future podcast can help you. This podcast has been sponsored by partners who want to reach super targeted audience of investors, entrepreneurs and people who are in the process of starting their own business. If you or your company is interested in reaching those audiences through this podcast we would like to chat with you we have sponsorship slots from three episodes up to one year send me an email via hello at the starter.com that is h-e-l-l-o at t-h-e-s-t-a-r-t-a.com and we can take this further you've been listening to building the future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. STARTA.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.